The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. Uh, Reverend um, William Godfrey is the pastor of Christ United Reformed Churches. Many of you have met him already on campus because he's teaching for us in the Ministry of the Word for the first-year students and the senior pastoral seminar. So the first and third-year students get the benefit of having him teach them and model for them pastoral ministry. He's also a dear friend of mine, and we're so grateful he's here bringing God's Word to us. So please come and teach us this morning. It's not because I don't like our dear president that I wanted him to, to move it along, but because the, the text is long and doesn't give us, give us a lot of time to read through it. Uh, we want to look together at Isaiah 48, Isaiah 48 in our series through the servant songs, Isaiah 48, and I have the same struggle that a lot of the faculty have had in doing this. Do you read the whole passage, and if you do, does that even leave you time to talk about any of it? Uh, so I'm going to read beginning at verse 9 through the end of uh, Isaiah 48. So let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel, whom I called, I am he. I am the first and I am the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. Assemble all of you and listen. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall perform his purpose on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken and called him. I have brought him, and he will prosper in his way. Draw near to me, hear this. From the beginning I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his Spirit. Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way that you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand, and your descendants like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. Go out from Babylon. Flee from Chaldea. Declare this with a shout of joy. Proclaim it. Send it out to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow from them from the rock. He split the rock, and the water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Let's ask God to bless our study of his word together. Let's pray. Father, would you now open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things out of your word, the most wonderful of all being our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so will the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And hear us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, I titled our, our talk today, The Lord's Love to the Loveless. Um, and I did not, that's not original to me. I stole that from Derek Kidner. Um, and I feel okay stealing it from him because he stole it from a hymn. Um, there's a, a hymn in the Trinity Psalter hymnal called, My Song is Love Unknown. Um, and it, begin, it begins this way. My song is love unknown, my Savior's love to me, love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. Um, and those two last phrases, I think, are good summaries of this passage. Love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. And so we're not going to be able to go through this passage entirely in depth, but I would like for us to kind of trace the contours of it together and to think a little bit about what's being taught to us. And simply it's that God accomplishes his redemptive purposes for his people through the servant of the Lord. Um, and he does that through his work um, for a loveless people as a loving God, uh, through the living Lord. And that's how we want to think about this passage together, that God accomplishes his purposes for a loveless people as a loving God through the living Lord. Um, it's important for us to understand something of the context of Isaiah 48, coming at the end of a section, really, in Isaiah that goes from chapter 40 to 48. Um, some commentators have said chapter 49 begins the dawn of redemption, um, and if chapter 49 begins the dawn of redemption, that means we're at the dark place before the dawn. Um, and I think that's a lot of ways how we find God talking about his people um, in Isaiah 48. It's the dark part of the, part of the chapter that we didn't read, um, but that talks about God's people and what kind of people they are. Uh, verses 1 and 8 really capture the assessment that you find of God's people in the first eight verses. If you look at verse 1, Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. Uh, that's the beginning of a terrible indictment of God's people that spans through to verse 8, where God concludes, You have never heard, you have never known, from old your ear has not been opened, for I knew that you would surely deal treacherously and that from before birth you were called a rebel. God's people have been a people who have been loveless because they have not listened to the Lord. This passage is filled with calls for God's people to listen, to hear. The indictment of the first eight verses begins with, Hear this. And reflects on the fact that God has continued to declare these things. He's continued to cause them to be made known. Israel's now in a place where they've seen what he said would happen. And he says sort of rhetorically, how can you not declare it? Because you not only heard it, you've seen it. But you've never been a people who've known because you've never been a people who've heard. Um, and that, that terrible severity of the indictment that comes, you, from before birth you were called a rebel. Um, you've never been a people who've listened to me. You've never been a people who've responded to my word. Um, that's, a, that's a terrible indictment of a loveless people. Um, and before we move on to the good news, because there is good news also in this passage, I don't want to leave you there. Um, I'm reformed, but not that reformed. Uh, to, to leave you just with the, the grimness of the passage. But it's important that we don't just move on quickly to the good news, but think about the weight of this condemnation, because it's not just them who are a stiff-necked and stubborn people. 
right? We're a stiff-necked and stubborn people. Um, we've been rebels, you know. Romans three describes us as well. Um, and so this passage should be a moment to pause and to think about where we have failed to hear and to really listen. Right? We learn in our studies here that whenever God says hear, he means hear and respond to what you've heard. Um, and is there hope for a rebellious people? Is there hope for a people who've not listened and who've become loveless? Um, and of course, yes, there is hope. And the hope comes from a loving God. But the glory of this passage reminds us is that even when God's people refuse to hear his word, the Lord still stands behind the word he's spoken. And we see that that wonderful communication of his electing purpose that comes across in verses 9 through 11. Why does this terrible people not get met with condemnation? Because God's word of election stands sure. Right? We can see that in those, in those wonderful verses 9 and 11. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. And for the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Why are they not cut off? Not for their sake, but for God's sake. Because he has set his love on his people. And his electing purpose, his choice of his people, has not changed. He still stands behind the word he spoke in Deuteronomy. I didn't choose you for something in you. I chose you because I loved you. I delivered you because I swore an oath to your fathers. Um, It's the electing word of God that is the encouragement for God's people. And it's the fact that his electing choice, his decree does not change, that they can have some hope. Some hope of forbearance and salvation, as God says in verse 9. That his anger is deferred and that they are not cut off. Um, That wonderful word of forbearance and salvation that leads to words of salvation from affliction. We see that in verse 10. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. Why can't God refine them as silver? Well, because when you refine silver, you burn off the dross to leave the silver that's left over. And this is a way of saying there's no silver. There's only dross. I've not refined you as silver. Um, I've taken you out of the furnace of affliction. Um, I've taken you out of the furnace of affliction. I've chosen you. In the furnace of affliction, I think is the best way to take that. It's the most natural reading of the Hebrew word there. I've chosen you out of the furnace of affliction. And what does that that phrase, furnace of affliction, bring to mind for God's people? It brings to mind the, the terrible trial they went through in Egypt. That they were in that iron furnace, that furnace of affliction from which God drew them out. Right? And so God, God is bringing that image back in and saying, just as I plucked you out of the furnace of affliction in Egypt, so I'm going to pluck you out of the furnace of affliction in Babylon. And why? Because you've been purified? Because you're no longer a stubborn and stiff-necked people? No, why is he going to do that? Well, because he is a God who's merciful and gracious, who's slow to anger, who's abounding in steadfast love, and faithfulness. It's for the sake of his covenant promises 
and who he is as a loving God that he does this for his people. And that out of his love, he speaks to them again in verses 12 through 22. There's sort of two parallel sections in this passage, 1 through 11 and 12 through 22. And 12 through 22 is forward-looking. And again, calls on God's people to hear and to listen. Uh, We see that in verses 12, verse 14, verse 16. Hear, listen. I'm going to speak something to you. It's a wonderful reminder that a Redeemer God still has redemptive purposes for his people. And the first of the new things he's speaking to them in his redemptive purpose is the promise to deliver them from bondage in Babylon. Uh, This is the, the Cyrus promise being guaranteed by God in verses 14 and 15. That God will raise up a deliverer and he will bring them out of Egypt, um, out of Babylon. I even I have spoken and called him. I have brought him and he will prosper in his way. Um, He will come and deliver God's people. There's redemption being promised by God. Redemption from this captivity that they're experiencing in Babylon. It's a wonderful reminder that God's, God's people have a redeeming God. And just as he redeemed in Egypt, so he will redeem from Babylon. Um, but that doesn't wholly solve the problem, does it? Because a wicked people doesn't cease to be a wicked people by a change of address. Right? It's not as if like what happened in Babylon stays in Babylon, and you can take this wicked people and just drag them back to Israel, and suddenly they magically become a righteous people. Right? Because this second half, even though it's forward-looking, it's still calling on them to hear and listen. But what do we know from the first half of this text? They're not a people who hear and listen. And we're reminded of the devastating consequences of failing to listen. Because verses 17 through 19 remind us of all the sweetness of the covenant promises for those who would hear and do them. All the peace and prosperity they've lost by not listening. It's a tragic way of thinking about things, right? Oh, my people, had you paid attention to my commandments, uh, then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Right? That's, that's what that lost ideal of the law always says to God's people. As Gerhardus Voss pointed out, right? Um, what a life I would have given you if you'd have followed me. But it's a peace that was never achieved. It was a peace that was lost. And that last line of the, of the passage still haunts God's people. That there is no peace for the wicked. And so we know that they need something more than just deliverance from earthly captivity. They need deliverance from eternal captivity. They need deliverance from the spiritual captivity into which their wickedness has plunged them. Um, And that's the hope that comes with the promise of another deliverer who's coming. It's not just the Cyrus promise that we see here in verses 14 and 15. There's also another promise of another deliverer who's going to come. Uh, The servant who's identified in verse 16. Draw near to me and hear this from the beginning. I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. God's word has always been proclaimed about a deliverer. It wasn't something that was said undercover. And it was something that was said from the beginning. And wherever God spoke the word, he was carrying the word forward. Um, always speaking of a deliverer. But now the deliverer is there and speaking. Right? And now the Lord ha- God has sent me and his spirit. 
It's a wonderful promise of the new thing that God is going to do, not just raise up an earthly deliverer, but raise up a spiritual deliverer. Um, And we shouldn't miss the importance of those words, and now. And now. Because how do those words function in Isaiah's prophecy? Always to indicate something new is happening. That, That something not from the old dispensation, but something that belongs to the new. That was the point that E.J. Young made. This sets forth a significant contrast. As so often employed in the prophecy, these words are, the, are present, those, these words present the contrast between the old dispensation and the new dispensation. And now something new is happening. It's like that shift you see in, in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. That long ago, God did things a certain way, but in these last days, He's spoken to us by a son. Something different has happened now. Something completely changing the paradigm, completely changing the game. This is the one who can actually bring salvation to Israel and save them from not just earthly captivity, but the spiritual bondage into which they've plunged themselves. And who is this servant? Who is this redeemer who will come? whose appearance will mean salvation for God's people. Well, it's, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the redemptive word of God come in the flesh. He is the instrument of redemption come into the world. Uh, The word made flesh to do all those things that the spoken word on its own could not do for God's people. The law said, listen, but it didn't convey the ability to do it. And here comes one who will say, listen, and will bring the Spirit who will write the law on their hearts so they will not just hear, but obey. And that will set all things on a new footing. Because this servant will deliver his people out of the furnace of affliction that is sin and death and hell. And rescue them from that state. And the one who will open their ears to hear and to obey the word that's spoken. So they will love the word of God from their hearts and seek to obey it. And he will cause those who were rebels before their birth to be reborn to a living hope. To be new creatures, not like the old, where rebellion and treachery is their default mode, but those who will serve the Lord. And he will usher in an eternal peace that will never be lost. He'll bring something even greater than the peace that was promised in the Old Testament. Something bigger and greater than they could understand it in those Old Testament terms, in terms of types and shadows. Something better, something that's so much better, it's beyond what we could ask or imagine. That's the kind of peace he brings. And as we'll hear later, of his kingdom and of that peace, there will be no end. That's the promise of the servant of the Lord. And that's what Jesus Christ comes and does by his perfect life and his sacrificial death on the cross and his glorious resurrection. He has redeemed us from our spiritual bondage. And he's coming again soon in glory to make all things new, to consummate that peace for God's people where there will be no more wickedness and then no more fear of anything interrupting that peace. Christ has accomplished it. As the servant of the Lord, he's coming soon in glory. Uh, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together.
Father in heaven, would you help us to, by your grace and by your spirit, listen to the word that we've heard in the text, to apply it to our hearts and minds, to rest in the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ, to go out in the peace and the freedom that he has given to us, and declaring with joy to all who will hear that the Lord Jesus Christ has redeemed his servant. To him be the glory as our deliverer forever and ever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California, 2019. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.